0: Welcome to Let Me Ascertain You, a podcast series featuring performances from the civilians ongoing investigative cabaret series. What you're about to hear are recordings of live performances by the civilians and special guests live on stage in NYC. This podcast will feature interviews we've done over the past couple of years that we haven't shared with you yet. These pieces you'll hear were performed at the Metropolitan Museum last fall. As you may have heard, the civilians are artists in residence at the Met this year, and we'll perform three original shows in the museum itself. Our first show, this one for this podcast, was a cabaret performed in the beautiful Petrie Court. We were staring at the nude sculptures in that space and throughout the museum, and lots of questions about the representation of the body and beauty, past versus present, came to mind. So that's what we explored in this eclectic cabaret, how beauty, sex, love, and the body intertwine. Listen to some of those stories now. First up, we have Janine Siralis, performing an interview we did with Ana Yolanda Escobar, a prisoner at the El Buen Pastor Women's Prison during the prison's annual beauty pageant.
1: Okay, my name is Ana Yolanda Pérez Escobar, and I am the queen mother of Cell Block 5. Now, you know... Each cell block has a young woman that they elect as the queen, and then, like me, the queen mother. And you know, when I stood on that stage in the pageant, I felt fear, terror, sweat. When I was standing there in my high heels, and every bit of my body was shaking, and all the women are screaming, Dona Yolanda! Dona Yolanda! It was sensational. It was my moment, it was me. I was the center of attention. I never in my whole life been the center of attention. Not when I was a girl, not in my childhood, not even when I was sentenced, never. (laughs) But you know, You know, I thought, you know, when I, when I entered this pageant, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because never in my whole life, you know, I, I, I I was never, I had never had anything to do with winning in my life, but everything I do, I do with love. You know, I love everything. I love everything that God has given me. Gracias a Dios. I think I love everybody here. I love, love is like a fountain of life. Everybody tells me that I radiate love. I don't know, you tell me. I might. Anyway, so I am here for theft. You know, for 40 years up till now, my life was filled with sadness. You know, my my mother, you know, she uh, took her life when she was 16 years old and I was six months old. She took an overdose of totes, which is a drug that um, uh, disintegrates her organs. And my father had abandoned her because his family wouldn't accept that my mother was just a a coffee seller at the bus stop. And his family owned all the buses, so they were rich. And and I was raised by my grandmother and my aunt and my uncle. And they were like my brothers and sisters. And that's what I called them, even though they rejected me uh, because probably they didn't accept that, uh, you know, about my mother having me. Um, and so 25 years ago, I went one day to visit one of these uncles. And my son Eduardo was uh, 7 years old then, and uh, he saw their house. And you know, they had a television, they had Betamax they had games and my son was so hungry and they gave him food and, and, and he was so happy. And so they told me, you know, let him stay here a couple of days. And I said, well, this is good so he can eat. But then when I went back to get him, they wouldn't give him back. They said, oh, well, you've been letting him starve and, um, and you have other children anyway. So we're not going to give him to you. And I cried, I screamed, I said, I'm not going to give him to you. And uh, they said, well, okay, well, if you can bring him toys and clothes before Christmas, I'll give him back to you. My uncle said this. And you know, this family of mine, you know, they, uh, they've always had money around. You know, you know my, my family is they're quote unquote thieves, you know. And so I thought, you know, if they can steal and do well, then okay, I can do that too. And so I went out and I started stealing in stores, you know, all sorts of nice toys and all of that. And uh, and I went back to pick up my boy and then I kept stealing. And, um, you know, because I promised myself that we were never going to be hungry again. That my children wouldn't want for anything. And that's how I brought them up. And I gave them values... And I educated them and I bought them clothes, you know, and all surviving by myself, you know, because I had left my husband. And at Christmas I gave gifts to the poor kids in the neighborhood, you know, you know, everything that I stole, you know, to save. But um, but I was like Santa Claus, you know. So I ended up here in prison because you know, I had you know, I because of a bad breakup. And uh, I, I hauled myself up in a crack den, you know, for, for 15 days. And, um, and I went out to, uh, to steal so I could keep smoking. And then on the first try, I got caught. And I don't know why, but when that happened, I thanked God. You know, I don't know why I said those words, but I was, you know, I was relieved. I was relieved. And then these last few weeks leading up to this pageant... I discovered something beautiful about myself that my family, no one else has seen. And my, you know, my cellmates were saying to me, let your hair out, dress like this, do this because you have a nice body. And I was looking in the mirror and I, and I, and I realized that I'm worth a lot. You know? And I bring out the best in people. And I have four beautiful grandchildren. And my family thinks that I'm the best mother in the world. I have a beautiful family. But I never thought that I would win. Never. But I did. I won.
0: Next up, Nidra McClyde performs Pookie who we interviewed for our investigation into weddings in America. Damien Balde follows with an interview we did with a practitioner of hot nude yoga.
2: Oh, God. My sister was so in love with... (laughs) Can I speak freely? My sister was so in love with this nigger... She had won a lawsuit. She had gotten maybe like $90,000 from Allstate from, you know, a lawsuit. I thought that maybe she was trying to buy his love. But they had bought all this property up in Brainerd. And they were having this log cabin built. And they were going to, you know, live the glamorous life, by the fireplace and all this good BS. They bought cars and put everything in his name. Finally, a year and a half, two years into the relationship, he asked her to marry him. And she didn't want to (laughs) be no white virgin bride. So she went out and had this dress made, this wedding dress out of kind of like a peachy orange, this big ass orange dress. (laughs) And then she had all of these jewels sold all up on it. That was some funny shit. We called it the great pumpkin dress because that's what she looked like in that shit. So I'm fixing the food that Saturday, the day that we were having the wedding. And, you know, it was like August. It was still hot. She had like 10 bridesmaids, 10 groomsmen. I'm mean, this huge wedding party. And I know how to make weddings. And so I'm setting the food up. I'm setting the cake up. I'm like popping this last tablecloth. And so the ceremony is getting ready to start. And the music is playing. And everybody's lining up on the stairs outside the church. And I see this tuxedo going down the street. And I'm like, who in the hell is that leaving now? And so I kind of look back and I glance and then I said, Rodney, and this is my big older brother, who is that leaving down the street? And he said, that ain't nobody. I wish they just heard and get this shit started. It's hot in hell. I'm sick of this shit. It's hot as hell out in this motherfucker. So I get to where I can see who it is. And it's Charles, the groom. Charles just left and Ronnie's like no he didn't I said the hell you think so then I'm like oh shit I can't let my sister walk down this aisle and they thinking that this man is gonna show up and so I go in the building to tell her and <laughs> Ed Winner, this evangelist or whatever in the hell she's supposed to be she turns around and she's like you can't go in there the ceremony's about to start and I'm like Look, move the fuck out of the way. I got to talk to my sister now. No, you can't go in there. And I'm like, Edwina, now I'm trying to be nice to you, but I ain't been saved my whole life. So, you know, so you need to get the fuck out of the way because this nigga just left. And so, you know, I kind of go around and I go in there and I tell my sister, this nigga just stood your ass up. She's like, what do you mean? He didn't go anywhere. And I'm like, sis. Do you really want your fucking feelings hurt? The nigga left you at the altar. And then I just walked out. And then I go and tell my other brothers and my sister and stuff. And everybody just kind of got up and left. And then we just walking down the street. Some people ran down the street to see if they catch him. I think he had a getaway car some damn well. Because couldn't nobody catch his ass. Couldn't nobody find him anywhere. Seriously. And there was like three, 400 people in that church. It was packed. <laughs> Ed I had to go down on that stage. She had to tell them people, I'm sorry. The wedding has been called off. And you know, <laughs> she's like, she's all real high yellow. Her ass was red as a beet. <laughs> and so after that, we all just kind of went to my sister's house. And we just had a party there. Because you know, we had all of that liquor and stuff. And we all got drunk we had a party for two days everybody was drunk everybody (laughs) yeah it was crazy we seen charles the groom about six months later and he told some people he just didn't want to get married and we were like well why didn't you tell us that you could have saved us a lot of money (laughs) oh yes and let me tell you something all that property, all them cars and stuff that she and he bought together, he took every single thing. She didn't have nothing, nothing. She went down to the courthouse to try to get some papers and stuff and they told her that there there wasn't nothing that they could do because her name wasn't anywhere to be found. And she was really embarrassed. She left that church after that because she was a member. She was too embarrassed. People were making fun of her and stuff. But who wears an orange wedding dress? And she wanted something different and elegant. And oh, she wanted the carriage and the white horse. And she ain't have no carriage, though. She just wanted to be a princess, a queen, like she is. (laughs) She had that frog. (laughs) That nigga was a frog! I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's what my brother said. He said, yeah, that frog didn't kiss your ass, though. You ain't wake up. <laughs> oh, man, we talked shit to her. Yeah, it was bad. It was funny as hell, though.
3: Um... Well, I've been doing yoga for about eight years now. Uh, but I started out as a scuba instructor, actually. And uh, that had a lot to do with uh, helping me to learn to become a man. Um, talk about a masculine testosterone sport. Um, well, scuba diving, it's all about how deep you can go and what you've touched and what kind of equipment you have, etc. So. so I was teaching scuba And I was working as a go-go dancer on the side. (laughs) Um, I moved to NYC because it was just something that I just always wanted to do. And um, and when I got here, I remember I was walking down the street one hot, humid afternoon, uh, down on 23rd and 6th Avenue. Do you know where that is? Um, And all of a sudden it came to me, hot, nude yoga. So if you're ever in need of an epiphany, trust me, you'll find it at 23rd and 6th Avenue. So So one of the things that I've learned about men over the course of hot nude yoga is that masculinity is best explored uh, amongst the company of other men. And don't get me wrong, I love, love women. Love, love, love. Um, They've taught me so much about uh, life, but, but... Men evolve uh, mentally, spiritually, and physically within groups of other men. Um, and I have managed to make that space with hot nude yoga. Because um, through yoga, you're able to let go of your ego, you know, uh, your idea, of what it means to be a man, and really explore what it truly means to be a man amongst other men. And look, I, I know that you have to have an ego. I mean, if, if you didn't, we couldn't be talking to each other right now, you know, we'd just be being, you know. Uh, but, uh, but yoga lets you view the ego from a distance, though, to gain perspective on its, its limits and its um, self-imposed boundaries. Um, and being naked, um, further encourages that exploration. You know, in Hinduism, they make you take your shoes off at the door, and we practice that here as well, except with with uh, clothing. So the whole idea is to leave your ego at the door and, um, and so that you can better explore your essence. Um, so what does it mean to be a man? Um, did you see the crucible? Do, do you remember Liam Neeson? Uh, well, he says something along the lines of... Um, uh, I've got nothing if I don't have my name. And uh, that really struck a chord with me. Because um, I think one of the problems with modern society today is that we're losing personal honor. Um, you know, Nowadays we, we accept pieces of paper and contracts because no one trusts anyone else's word anymore. And it's, it's too bad because that is what I think of when I think of what it means to be a man, someone who, uh, who keeps their word. Um, And that form of cultural exchange is is still practiced heavily in in parts of Tibet where uh, there's no hard currency. Uh, I heard a story once about a boy who lived with his father. And whenever they needed bread, um, the boy would go to the store and the shopkeeper would give him a twig. And uh, the boy would bring the twigs home to his father and they would save them until the end of the month when the shopkeeper would come around to collect traded goods for the bread. So I love that story. Because the twigs are like a credit card, you know? Um, and it reminds me a lot of The Kite Runner. Oh, you haven't read the book yet? May I highly recommend it? Um, well, it takes place in Afghanistan, and it gives interesting insight into a, a very different culture. So, um, yeah. I've got nothing if I don't have my name.
0: close out, Elise Lewis will perform an original song, Pretty Monster, written by Robin Eaton and Jill Sobule, for a new musical we're developing called Times Square.
4: In a castle on the Bowery On a dark and stormy night The lightning struck the tower And they said it gave you life Your blood was made of whiskey They carved you out of lust But in the haze, they forgot some essential parts So they left you on the table And when you hit the streets The villagers did not know what to make of such a freak You are my pretty monster Pretty monster Yes, it's true You are my pretty monster I'm not afraid of you When a fist threw you across the room Strapped down with a belt They were trying to remake you into everybody else Well, the monster, she has powers. And a few of us, we know. The monster, she could save the world. She could save your soul. So rest a while, my gruesome one. Lie down here with me. Listen to me. You are my pretty monster, pretty monster. Yes, it's true, you are my pretty monster I'm not afraid of you I like your scars, I like your bruises all the things that you've been through but if you look a little closer i'm a monster too you are my pretty monster pretty monster yes it's true you
0: Don't miss out on more investigative theater from the civilians. Subscribe to Let Me Ascertain You on iTunes to catch future episodes and catch up on our past podcasts. To see the civilians live, please visit us at www.thecivilians.org or check us out on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Matt Delapina, and thank you for listening.